Do you think about making dynasty trades even while watching football games? Are you thinking of player values when you should be thinking of family values? Then you may have a trading problem. Don't worry, you're not alone. I am Dynasty Outhouse and I have a trading problem. And I'm Brian Haar and I also have a trading problem. Join us for the Trade Addicts podcast where you can be with like-minded people and talk about everything in the NFL in the context of dynasty trade values. News and notes, make amends, keep trade buys, all these things we will cover every week. And don't forget Trade Addicts trades. So when you're done listening to this fine DLF family podcast, please tune into the trade addicts podcast thank you and enjoy your podcast from I, i can't i can't do it i don't have the energy that john does I'm just going to say hi. I'm I'm Stompy Sam Lane at FF Stompy or Stompy the Bear as John likes to call me. And I'm here with my friend, Dr. Ethan Turner. How's it going, Ethan? Oh, it's going, man. You know, if there's a pandemic, it's fine. Everyone is, I think, sick of hearing about it. And so things are opening back up. We'll see how that goes. It's, it's fine. It's fine. I... I'm, I won't get political on this podcast, but <laughs> please do. Oh, please oh do. My God. We don't want to lose everyone the first week. Yeah. Oh my God. We don't. <sighs> this isn't even close to being done. Just you, you it ain't people over. better. You better settle in. It won't be over until 2021 at least. It ain't. But over. I mean, what's worse is like you have the major league baseball falling apart before our eyes. You have, uh, star superstars in the NBA willing to sit out if they do decide to go with a, a tournament style at what is it the Disney athletic place in Orlando uh it's just ho- ho- well hockey's going strong so hockey's probably going to come out of this on top with everything i think the ufc is going to be big too by the end of this, yeah, I think, probably. I think the UFC is going to end up winning this whole thing. Uh, I think their big first big event is this weekend, actually, since coming so, back. So everybody, just settle in. You're going to turn into UFC and hockey fans. You're going to like fighting. That's the good old American way. So that's right. Embrace it, I suppose. But anyway, there will be football. Can we just? Agree? Are we pretty sure there is going to be football? Uh, I am fairly certain with the amount of money involved that there will at least attempt to be football. There was, I won't say that it won't, it will last the whole season or if it won't be affected in some way, but I can't imagine with all the money that goes into this, the NFL isn't going to just basically bull rush their way into it. Regardless of the the, the situation, why you think that, but I mean, not, I'm not an immunologist. I'm not a virologist. So take, what I have to say with a grain of salt, but specifically in 1918, the flu of 1918, the second wave was far larger than the first wave. And uh, I know obviously over a century, our, our medical practices and our efficiency and our, our wins in, in medicine are far better. I get it. But at the same time, we're still doing stupid stuff like opening way too early with States and it's going to cause a second wave. And if that second wave happens, September, October, we might have football for a couple weeks until this second wave hits, but I, it could happen that we just don't have sports. 
it could get definitely get ugly, which brings us to the, the, the big thing here is be smart. If you yes. are sick, stay home. And if you are out in public, please wear a mask. I know that people are shaming other people for wearing a mask. This now I, mean, I am not, I, an immune, I am not an immunologist. I am, I am in no way, shape or form any of those things. I'm not a disease expert, but I am a doctor and I will tell you that we wear masks in our clinic and it's just, it, it's not that hard people. It is not that hard to put on a mask and help do something to be proactive about this. Like do something. It does it put on the freaking masks. Mm-hmm. Like it is not that hard. I, you not know, I, I, I'm not going to, I, again, I, this is going to set me off on a rant. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to control it because I'm, I'm here for done, I'm, I, I'm, I've already done it on Twitter. Just for God's sakes, the only person you should be listening to is Dr. Fauci. If there's only going to be one person you listen to, it better be Dr. Fauci. Other than that, nobody else has the authority that he does in this matter. Listen to Dr. Fauci. You'll be okay. I'm not going to go on a rant. I swear. Oh, my God. I, Ethan, how dare you get me started here? <laughs> I apologize to everyone. Anyway. Reflex Super Show audience we're, we're, we're that healthy. I started this podcast yeah. with an absolute stompy tirade we're we're healthy stay healthy take care of take care of your people take care of everybody that's a human thing to do all right so let's move on to fantasy football here and we have a segment our topic today i guess is called anything you can do i can do better and it was presented to us by our very own ethan turner who i mean i guess i'll let you tell the background behind it Yeah. So this is a new segment. I don't think we've ever done this segment. Uh, I just came up with it on the fly, which is means we're going to test run it here. And every once in a while, I think of something that I want to talk about. And then I try to make a segment out of it because I feel like that's important. And for this segment actually stemmed from a tweet I had last year, uh, last off season around this time, I tweeted out something along the lines of you need to fade Dante Pettis because Debo Samuel is here. He is coming and he does everything that Dante Pettis does except much better. And that ended up being a true tweet. It ended up happening over the course of the year. We saw it happen right before our eyes. Uh, Dante Pettis had some hype at the beginning of the season. And as the season wore on, Debo Samuel became the guy in San Francisco. And so I, I don't even to, think Dante Pettis was a guy. In I don't even. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the idea was he had the perception that he might be mm-hmm. a guy. And what we're going to do here with this segment is basically look at either one uh, new players to uh, new teams. So uh, players that either through free agency or trades have changed teams and who they are going or rookies and who they are going to be replacing so that by the end of the year, it won't be a question of which guy is the guy. Maybe they're close in value right now, or maybe people are kind of questioning like, all right, who is actually the person we want out of this backfield or this wide receiver core? Uh, who is the guy and who is the guy that we need to be fading in drafts, either redraft or dynasty? Our goal is to find the people that we think are not only going to raise in value, but also who they're going to be replacing. So you are buying the dude that can do everything better than the other guy. And you're fading the dude that is about to get absolutely replaced because either they have similar skill sets or it's just a a matter of 
it's just a matter of time before the talent wins out in these situations. Um, so we're going to go through, we've got a few running backs, a few wide receivers and a couple tight ends here that have switched teams that we think you need to be paying attention to. All right. So we'll, we'll, we'll start with our running backs here. I mean, there's def obviously with this, this class, there, there are a few guys who were drafted that are going to usurp the incumbent. Um, so, I mean, we'll start probably with the most obvious one. I, I, I think Jonathan Taylor over Marlon Mack. Um, obvious, I, I, I think it, the value changed right when Jonathan Taylor was drafted. So there's not really an argument here for Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack was, got better every year. He, he was productive for two years. But at the end of the day, Jonathan Taylor is better literally at everything. Uh, and, and I say that, I'll put a little bit of a caveat on there. I Marlon Mack is actually a decent pass catcher. He did it in college. He just wasn't used that way with the Colts. And, I mean, that's unfortunate. Um, but uh, Jonathan Taylor, going especially in the second round, with his uh, production in college, with his with his profile, I mean, he's the starter right away and, and it's not close. And, and I honestly don't know if Naheem Hines really plays a part. I know that there have been some coach speak things going on where Naheem, I, I think Frank Reich said something like Naheem Hines could catch 60 balls this season and okay, fine. But at the end of the day, you have an advantage if, you have a guy who can be on there three, be on the field for three downs, can catch the ball as well. Jonathan Taylor had his first twenty reception season, which is kind of a line to um, tell us if if you're going to have uh, success catching the ball in the NFL. So he had the one, the more the better, obviously. Um, but he proved that he can catch the ball, so I, I don't think there's really that much of a challenge to any touches for Jonathan Taylor. So this one's fairly obvious to me. Yeah, I think it's obvious too. Um, I think the one thing that I wanted to touch on a little bit is the pass catching with Taylor. That's kind of a, I, I guess with Mac and with Hines, obviously, uh, the, the question is, is Taylor going to catch any passes? And and I go back to uh, actually a Roto World blurb that I read while I was scouting uh, Jonathan Taylor, and it was before this last season. So before his last season at Wisconsin, and it basically came out and he, he came out and said, I know the NFL teams want someone who can catch passes. I'm working on it and I'm going to be better this year. And so when I see a guy that one was already an elite talent from a running perspective, understand not only that he has a weakness in a certain area that he needs to get better at, but then goes out and actually produces and does that thing. I have no doubt that he is going to turn right around and and kick both these guys, both Naheem Hines and Marlon Mack are, are going to be sitting behind Jonathan Taylor. By the end of the season, I'm going to guess that he's taken at least, at least 65 to 70% of the total touches out of that backfield. And I don't see any way that either of those two can touch him. I just don't see any way that that is going to be the case. Yeah. I, uh, again, probably the easiest one out of the this whole thing that we're going to talk about other than obviously DeAndre Hopkins going to Arizona. I we, we don't really need to talk about that one. That one is just the most obvious thing in the world if you don't understand that uh you are new. So welcome to fantasy football or you're an idiot. Um <laughs> 
Um, we are holding back no words. If yeah. you don't know about DeAndre Hopkins, you are an idiot. Yes, very, very. Or, or, or you're brand new to the sport, and I'll, I'll forgive you for that. Um, and welcome again. Uh, we'll go to a, another rookie here, um, DeAndre Swift over Carryon Johnson. I, I actually have some concern with this one. I do think okay. DeAndre Swift is a fantastic running back, but I think carry on Johnson's extremely underrated. And the only reason that we would, that, that value would really shift like that for me is because carry on Johnson is just injured all the time. And obviously they also (laughs) drafted a a running back in the second round. Again, Deandre Swift's great, but carry on Johnson when he was in, um, College was a fantastic running back. Matt Waldman, we I was talking to name drop. I was talking to Matt Waldman the other day on a podcast. And he was saying that while DeAndre Swift is great, carry on, he thinks carry on Johnson's better and he just needs to be healthy. So this could be just a, a kick in the pants for carry on Johnson to get healthy and to get, get himself in shape so he can stay healthy. Um, I think it's gonna be a lot of running back by committee here because uh, I think both of them do basically the same thing pretty well so i don't know about this one i i very easily can see carry on johnson being the lead back here and deandre swift being the um the complimentary back so i don't i don't know where i land on this one personally well i can tell you where i land on it and that it's not even really that close uh i i i can see the argument but to say and Again, this isn't going to knock um, that analysis. I'm not going to say that because I liked on Johnson coming out of college too. Um, he only had one really productive season at Auburn. Um, his last season, he had 1,300 yards. But before that, he didn't eclipse 1,000 yards in college in either of his first two seasons. So he was, an, he was an older prospect. And yeah, that was a good season. And yeah, he was productive that year. Uh, but to say that he's anywhere near the level of a guy who was pushing out Sony Michelle and uh, Nick Chubb for touches while at Georgia, to me, just seems like I think we're, we're reaching a little bit. Could this be split to start the year? Absolutely. Uh, carry on Johnson. The biggest problem that I have, and maybe it's because I am an injury guy and I have been looking at these college histories for three years now is that he came into the league with an injury history and he's done nothing but continue to add to it since then. And I think, I think the team realizes like, okay, maybe this isn't the guy that's going to be able to do it for us uh, at any type of bell cow capacity. And I think if you give Deandre Swift, even an inch, he's going to be much more valuable for fantasy than carry on Johnson because he has more burst. He is, he is, while I think they're both, decent pass catchers i think deandre swift gives you more as an offense uh out of the backfield than what a carry on johnson does they have good burst but we don't know what that burst is going to be like with johnson he's had multiple knee injuries now um for two years in a row to me i just feel like the team said what they thought of carry on johnson when they when they felt like they needed to use a second round pick on DeAndre Swift. And I think it is just a matter of time before we go, you know what? DeAndre Swift is just, he's just much better at all the stuff that carry on Johnson does. Uh, DeAndre Swift is just a more useful back, you know, with those touches. Mind you, I had, I have, or I had Swift as my RB one in this class pre-draft. And I know that's going against the grain and God forbid I go against the grain. 
Um, and I, I love carry on Johnson. I don't want, I, I guess I don't want this to be a knock on, on, um, Deandre Swift. It's just, I, I agree. Deandre Swift is better, but would I be surprised if they gave, I, I, I should, I, <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure out how to explain this. Um, would, I don't think it's likely, but I, would I be surprised if carry on Johnson led the team and touches if he stays healthy? No. Okay. Now efficiency is a whole different matter. I do think Deandre Swift can be much more efficient, but I, I, I still think that carry on Johnson's has a role here and it could be significant. Okay. I mean, I think that it's uh, from a talent perspective though. Do you think that Deandre Swift is better than carry on Johnson? Yes. Do you think he's a better runner than carry on Johnson? I, I think he's better at everything than carry on. Johnson. Okay. That's the point of the show. I, right right here, I, baby. No, I understand right here. <laughs> the point of the show or the point of this, your, your game, your game here is to, who has more value? Okay, I dig that. So I am saying I do think DeAndre Swift will have more value. I think that's the most likely outcome. I am just saying I would not be surprised if Carryon Johnson has a significant role. All right, I dig that. I could dig that. Let's move to the next one here. This one's going to cl- touch a little bit closer to your heart. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's Melvin Gordon coming in to the Broncos. Your your squad. Uh, he is, I think, a better – it's like if you put Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay together, you would get Melvin Gordon. And I think they brought him in to basically stop playing this game between the other two of who's going to touch the ball, who's going to catch the ball. We're not worried about that anymore. I think that Philip Lindsay will have a role, but I feel like the team especially thinks that Melvin Gordon is going to come in and be, for the, for the most part, the majority of the touches in this backfield. And I think his, from a talent perspective, Gordon is better, definitely better than Royce Freeman at everything mm. they do. And I think for Philip Lindsay, I think outside of, you know, being an underrated pass catcher, I think Melvin Gordon is still probably better than Philip Lindsay at everything that Philip Lindsay does well. And so I know you're going to argue with me on this, but I think from a talent perspective, Melvin Gordon is going to be a better version of both of these guys. And I think he's going to command the touches. And because of that, you have to, you have to fade Royce Freeman and you have to fade Philip Lindsay in drafts. By the way, Philip Lindsay, and I know this doesn't mean much, but I believe he was a pro bowler in year one and he, then he had, over a thousand yards again in year two with uh, 35 receptions. So, I mean, he just, he, he's a good running back. Uh, I don't know if I agree about the pass catching part because Philip Lindsay has a 53 reception season. Uh, he's got, and he's got three, uh, three seasons of over 20 receptions. So I don't know if I necessarily agree. I will say this though, that Philip Lindsay, obviously far smaller than Melvin Gordon. And I think, they they got now what they wanted with Royce Freeman. They wanted the two-headed attack. They wanted this to be a committee. So I do think Melvin Gordon does get more touches. I do think it's probably going to be something like a 60-40 split. But I think Philip Lindsay, again, this is a lot like my argument with Carrion Johnson and or at, at least the at, at least a potential argument of carry on Johnson versus um, DeAndre Swift. But I still think that Philip Lindsay can be extremely efficient, be extremely 
effective uh, for fantasy football. I, I think that's that's the case. Um, but yes, I, I do agree that. Well, I, it depends on what we're arguing. If we're arguing like fantasy points, if we're arguing redraft, I do agree that Melvin it's Melvin Gordon or Philip Lindsay. If we're talking about dynasty, that's where this gets a little dicey for me. Um, where Melvin Gordon is entering year four, year five, year five, six, year six. How old is he? Um, he is twenty-seven. Yep. So we're getting to an age and, and usage and season number that we start to see these running backs fall off. Uh, Melvin Gordon has, only has a two two uh, year contract. I don't know if he has an out after this year or if the Broncos have an out after this year. So it's hard to say in terms of dynasty value what this is going to be at the end of the season. If Philip Lindsay is efficient uh, and gets, I mean, let's just say finishes uh, top twenty four. I, I don't know if that will happen. If he, but if he finishes an RB two, like back end RB two, or even even like front end RB three. I would think that the value lies with Lindsay in terms of dynasty. I think if you're going to bring age in, I, I definitely feel like you have a point from a dynasty perspective specifically. Uh, to me, while I think, again, Philip Lindsay is a little underrated for his pass catching ability, to say that Melvin Gordon can't be better than him is, uh, I, I, think you, I think we're just looking at two totally different prospects. Yes, Phil Lindsay can be. I would. I'd be. It's because you. I I don't agree with the underrated. Like, so you think maybe people people forget about it. Maybe it's more. Maybe people forget about it. But Philip Lindsay. Okay, if we're going to say underrated, to me, underrated means like okay, he's slightly underrated. That's what you're saying. Yeah. But he's he's got a 53 reception season in college. Um, Yes. He's a good pass catcher. Uh, He's probably he's probably a better pass catcher coming out than Melvin Gordon was now at this stage. I don't know. I don't know because I, Philip Lindsay hasn't gotten the usage that Melvin Gordon has. Okay. I think, I think you have to bring up the usage because from a pass catching production standpoint, uh, Philip Lindsay had, or sorry, uh, Melvin Gordon has been a much, more efficient receiver out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's averaging 8.4 yards of reception. Philip Lindsay's at 6.2. Um, he, Melvin Gordon has basically over 33 receptions each of the last five seasons. And we can argue, you know, different schemes, Philip Rivers, dump down King, whatever we want to talk about. Melvin Gordon has already split carries with uh, a much better pass catcher than either of these two guys in Austin Eckler. And so the fact that he still commanded 42 catches last year, 55 targets, he, he can catch, he can catch passes. And so to say that, I'm not saying he can't that, catch passes. I'm just from a, I think from an opportunity perspective and from a efficiency perspective, these guys are going to be produce in a similar way. And because Melvin Gordon is going to get the majority of the workload, even if it's 60, 40, if it hits 70, 30, you're going to be, you're going to be kicking yourself for drafting Philip Lindsay, where you're going, where are you going to get him right now? I mean, I just feel like yeah. you're, you're hoping for a Melvin Gordon injury. I just, you can't say that Philip Lindsay is going to do what Austin Eckler did with Melvin Gordon. I think Melvin Gordon is going to command the majority of the touches and it's not going to be close. I mean, if we're going to talk about last year, absolutely not. But I do 
absolutely think that he can produce like Melvin Gordon did when Melvin Gordon didn't hold out. I do think that. Um, and honestly, I would not be surprised if Philip Lindsay out received out got more receptions, <laughs> whatever, got more receptions, <laughs> out got received. More yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he got more receptions um, by the end of the season. I do think it's going to be Melvin Gordon will get more work, but if Philip Lindsay has more receptions, I would not be surprised by that. Again, if but if I well, I guess the other part is if Philip Lindsay is productive as that if he's an Austin Eckler type, I'm not saying he's going to be Austin Eckler, but if he produces somewhat similar numbers, I have to in terms of value, I have to go with Lindsay. But you're right, by the end of the season, Melvin Gordon will be the bona fide RB1 there. There's no questions asked. I, I I think that is true. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the next one here. This one I think is a slam dunk. Uh, you brought this guy up. And to yeah. me, this is this is one of the easier ones. By the end of this year, I don't mm-hmm. think this is going to be a debate. Uh, but J.K. Dobbins coming in and and replacing uh, Mark Ingram. He came, He's got a calf injury that he had at the end of last season. Uh, very, very often will we find uh, players that have a calf injury can – be at risk down the road uh, for a more significant calf injury and an Achilles tear. Uh, there's not a whole lot that we know about Achilles tear outside of the fact that it is usually predicated by an injury to the calf. Um, I can tell you that calf strains especially can be something that can be a real pain to get over. Um, I think the team knows that, and I think the team may even know more about Mark Ingram than they're letting on as far as how that injury played out at the end of last year. If you remember, he tried to play and he, mm-hmm. he did not look right. He did not look right. And as soon as he tried to play, they basically had to pull him immediately. Cause it was just like, he, he can't play on this. And so JK Dobbins is a younger, uh, more explosive. He was an incredible athlete coming out of high school, even though he did not test at the combine JK Dobbins is a, a legit athlete and has been for a long time, a mega producer in college. Yeah. He was on a good team, but this is in another year. We're talking about JK Dobbins as, as, as pretty much one of the top two running backs in a class. He just happened to fall into a class that has four or five guys that are all pretty close to each other. And a few landed in better spots than him. But to me, JK Dobbins is my number three rookie running back. And I think that part of the reason that is is because I fully expect him, maybe not right at the beginning of this season, but by the end of this season, he is going to be an absolute workhorse. He's going to be catching passes. He's going to be getting all the advantage of Lamar Jackson, freezing linebackers, and he is going to be a fantasy stud by the end of this year. So uh, J.K. Dobbins is just name-dropping. Matt Waldman's RB1. Um, I think you can make an argument for – three three of them pre-draft either way um faster stronger quicker version of mark ingram and bigger by the way um had three seasons of 20 plus receptions in college so we know he can catch the ball though i don't know how much that's actually going to play into this because mark ingram only had 29 targets last season um I don't think there's going to be much of a t- dump down. I think the way this this offense is going to work is it's going to be largely run based, and then they'll take take deep shots like they did last year. Um, but 
Yeah, so I I mean this this situation kind of reminds me of the Browns in 2018 with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt or not Kareem Hunt, sorry, Carlos Hyde, where Carlos Hyde was the starter starting out, but Nick Chubb just kept like hitting home run after home run. He would have like one to three carries and I, I remember there was one game it was like three carries, 99 yards and a touchdown. Yep. And I it just got to a point where they traded Carlos Hyde because they're like, I mean, he's just holding us back at this point. Plus, Carlos Hyde sucks. So this is a better version of Carlos Hyde um, over there in Baltimore with Ingram. I'm going to let Ethan – I mean, Ethan's already talked about the injury. But Mark Ingram's 30 years old, and he's just not – I mean, he will get the touches, I suppose, but I view it as in like he's going to be the Gus Edwards – to for for jk dobbins is mark ingram if that makes sense so gus edwards had 103 33 carries last season um mark ingram had 202 so i think it'll be kind of like that where i jk dobbins gets around 200 carries by the end of the season maybe he gets 30 targets um but i think that's how it's gonna go is is you'll see it probably pretty early on that jk dobbins takes over the starting starting um running back position there and then he could end up being a league winner in terms of having late round value because I'm sure that there he's going to drop a little bit, especially in redraft, um, because of the because they see Mark Ingram ahead of him, they see Lamar Jackson taking 160 some odd carries. But I believe by the end of the season he could be end up being a league winner for you because he will have taken over that um, that backfield. I have a question, and it's just because neither one of us brought up the name, and I know that it was somebody I don't that, care. <laughs> I know it was somebody that I was – I mean, I was bullish on last year in rookie drafts, but Justice Hill, what is? what do you do with him? Is he you, a nobody? He's out. I mean, you just assume like, he's uh, a lost asset. I mean, I know that somebody is listening to this like, well, well they never talked about Justice Hill. What's a, What about him? So I mean, what about the, him? What do you think? He's literally in the same role that he was last year. So okay. nothing. I don't think anything. Um, he, he's kind of – who is the who is the guy that um, that we – a lot of people loved it. John loved him specifically. Kenneth uh, – Kenneth Dixon, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> Kenneth Dixon. That's that's who <laughs> Justice Hill is. He's like, oh, well, maybe he'll have a shot this year. Now he's either injured, suspended, or he just isn't good. Um, so I, I just JK Dobbins being taken in the second round, I think that tells you a lot of what they think of Justice Hill in my mind. Because Justice Hill at this point is a satellite back, maybe, and they don't throw to their or, or at least last year, they didn't throw to the running backs all that much. So I don't know what Justice Hill is worth at this point. Because if you have J.K. Dobbins, you have Mark Ingram, and you have Gus Edwards, basically all the carries are spoken for except for with Lamar Jackson. And most of the receptions are are, are probably spoken for by J.K. Dobbins by the end of the season. So I just – Justice Hill is I, – I, I think you have to give up on him at this point. Yeah. I think I, I think I, I think we're in lockstep here. I, I it sucks yeah. because I did like him coming out of college, but you have to just accept that you know they know what they got when he got there, and they still took J.K. Dobbins. I mean that right. is that is what we're dealing with here, uh, and that can, is going you to have be- to you have to avoid the take lock. 
that is going to be a terrorizing backfield for probably the next three years. I mean, J.K. Dobbins and Lamar Jackson, I mean, I would be scared out of my mind about that. I don't even know how you plan for that. You hope that you have enough players to that can are fast enough to catch them, I guess. I don't know. I, well, so here's the thing. J.K. Dobbins, this is his high school 40, 4-4-4-40 in high school. So in high could, school. Yeah, he could slow down. I mean, he could slow down. Yeah, but he's, he he's, built, he's built up. He's so I'm, I mean, you're probably looking at a a four four forty guy with a with Lamar Jackson, who's like a four three forty guy, and it's like I don't I don't even know how you stop these guys. Not to mention, then you have Marquise Brown, Boykin, who's extremely fast. I'm just like, oh, well, this team is pure speed. It's all speed. Yeah, Ugh, there's I love there's it. just no chance. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, it's funny because every year we we see these offenses that are just. I mean, absolutely loaded. You think Kansas City, you think last year with mm-hmm. the Ravens. And normally when you have a loaded offense like that, you're like, all right, we need to stop everyone else from scoring. And the Ravens just doubled right back down. And they're like, you know what? We're going to we're gonna add to running back. We're going to add to wide receiver. We're just going to make this offense just basically unstoppable from a speed perspective. And it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fun to watch. All right. So last one here that we'll talk about. Um, Cam Akers, so the, this is a Los Angeles Rams situation. Cam Akers over Darrell Henderson and Malcolm Brown. Um, obviously, Todd Gurley's gone, so RB1 is up for grabs. I I expect Cam Akers to come in and be the starter. I do. I don't think he's going to have a Todd Gurley type of load, but I have to imagine he's got 200-plus carries, probably another 40 targets next year. So I, th- I think it's gotta be cam makers. Now the worry here is that with that offensive line, how bad it was last season, but cam makers is used to playing behind a bad offensive line and used to creating his own yards. So maybe that won't be so bad. Um, and then the other aspect we have to worry about is Darrell Henderson and targets as well. Uh, Darrell Henderson, good pass catcher in college. Um, didn't really do anything even with Todd Gurley out. It was Malcolm Brown as the starter. So I don't know what they're doing with Darrell Henderson. Um, and especially when they grabbed Cam Akers in the second, right? Or yeah. The- Cam Akers was in the second. So, I mean, that's legit draft capital. So I, I, I think it's pretty obviously acres here because Darrell, like I said, Darrell Henderson didn't do much at all last year. And Malcolm Brown's kind of just the insurance policy at this point. Yeah, I can't see. I think that the team wants to replicate what they had with Todd Gurley when he was fully healthy, which was somebody who could be out there on all three downs that could break big plays, um, that could win despite the circumstances, even if you stack the box against him. And we saw that with Cam Akers at Florida State. They didn't have anybody that was keeping anybody honest. And so with the pass catchers that they have, with Akers, with the talent that he has, even behind a subpar offensive line, I think he's going to produce pretty much immediately. And I don't see from a talent perspective, how a guy like Daryl Henderson or a guy like Malcolm Brown, to me, those are, those are change of pace backs, both of them. I mean, they're fine to come in making maybe at the beginning of the year, Malcolm Brown gets a little bit more run, but I think as the year progresses, this team is going to want that dynamic one, one grab, you know, he, he takes the ball and, and takes it 
you know, 70 yards of the house. And it's not going to take long for Cam Akers to establish himself as the best running back and the most efficient running back to mm-hmm. replicate what they had with Todd Gurley a couple years ago. Also, Cam Akers is an extremely good blocker. At the very least, he's tenacious. He misses some sometimes, but overall, he's a very good pass blocker. So, I mean, with that offensive line, I would expect that he sees the field a significant amount of time on those passing downs. And he's one of the best runners in this class. I mean, to do what he did with how poor those offensive lines were, pretty fantastic, especially as a freshman. He's a very gifted runner, landed in the right scheme. If you get some decent blocking, I mean, he's he's a great, I think, great value. But I maybe not in rookie drafts right now because he's still going at what like one point oh five. So yeah, and not great value. But in super flex, he's going in the top ten picks usually, from what so I've seen. Not great value, but if he's let's just say he struggles this year because of the line and because of other things, I would be buying him because he's running in his own scheme, which he's much better suited for. And if they, if he becomes the RB one, that's, but I mean the no doubt RB one next season, um, I think he still is this season. But let, let's say he has a Le'Veon Bell type of arc to his career where he struggles in season one and loses some value, then I would be buying Cam Akers. But that's beyond the point of this um, podcast. All right, so we're moving on to wide receivers here again, avoiding the obvious one. DeAndre Hopkins is obviously going to be the wide receiver one for the Arizona Cardinals, whatever that means. Um, I still have some reservations about DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona, but that's not the point again of this podcast. So we're avoiding that one. Um, Interesting one here to start with uh, Lynn Bowden and Brian Edwards. Are you, do you think both of them over Tyrell Williams? I'm going to guess that Edwards is going to be the guy that's most likely going to replace one for one Tyrell Williams. Um, I guess I could have put rugs on here too. I think that the, this team is basically pushing Tyrell Williams out the door. He wasn't able, he had a chance, uh, whether they intended for him to be or not, he had a chance to show what he could do as a wide receiver. Now, again, I think the team intended for Antonio Brown to be that guy. We won't get into that. Tyrell Williams becomes the de facto number one and he couldn't stay healthy. And while he did produce some good games for them, clearly the team wanted an overhaul on offense. They, they wanted guys that were playmakers that could do something with the ball that Tyrell Williams just wasn't able to give them. Um, to me, I would say Brian Edwards is the most traditional wide receiver of these two. I'm not sure they listed Bowden as a, running back when they drafted him and so i don't know what exactly their plan is for his role he was a wide receiver converted to running you know converted a quarterback and then basically worked as a wildcat quarterback and just ran the ball every time Uh, his team was terrible but he's an incredible athlete Mm -hmm. and and very dynamic with the ball in his hands so I think they manufacture touches for Bowden, and I think Brian Edwards slides out outside and I think he has the skill set to win out there in a way that I don't think they ex- they want Tyrell or they expect Tyrell Williams to be able to win. I think this is this is probably the one that I'm the least confident in uh, of all of these, but I think the combination of those two guys is going to make me fade Tyrell Williams pretty much entirely in in drafts this year. I I think I mean we've seen Tyrell Williams be a decent uh, top wide receiver for for the San Diego Chargers. Sandy, the, yes, the San Diego Chargers back three years ago. 
Um, but I think he's meant more for that over the top role. That's cause that's where he's good. Uh, so I can get behind it a bit. Uh, in fact, I really, I don't want any of these wide receivers. I understand getting Brian Edwards for future, but really I don't want any of these wide receivers there except for maybe Hunter Renfro. Um, in fact, I, I heard people are fading Darren Waller and I don't understand Darren Waller led that team in targets last year. You're bringing in, you, you think that automatically the rookie is going to take over as the pass catcher one there. Like, I, I guess I don't understand the fading of Darren Waller. I still think Darren Waller is extremely relevant as the top pass catcher for either Derek Carr or Marcus Mariota, because neither of those guys really take risks and throw the ball down the field. Um, and I think, that's what you want from for for Brian Edwards, but I, do you think he's going to be able to bounce out or work outside now? I think he's better suited for the slot, but so so I guess I I don't know how to look at Edwards specifically this year. Yeah, this year I think you probably if you're not to me you want Waller for sure yeah. of all the pass catchers, like you said. Uh, I think this team is trying to replicate a little bit what the Kansas City Chiefs are doing. They bring in Ruggs. They already said that the reason they liked Ruggs so much is because he reminded them of Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Uh, do you, you? We can't forget that like the whole cog in that, that entire Kansas City offense is Travis Kelsey at tight end and having him in the red zone especially. And so you, I think they're happy with Darren Waller being that guy. Mm -hmm. Foster Moreau has a knee injury that I cannot find any details on. I have looked and looked and looked. I know it was a major knee injury and I have found nothing on it. And so we don't even know what's happening with him. Mm -hmm. We know that the team uh, signed Chase Waller. They, they signed they Jason, Jason Witten. Witten. I, I mean, come on. Like clearly something's up with Foster Moreau's knee. And so Darren Waller is the guy. But as far as Edwards goes, I think of all the wide receivers uh, of all three of the, the guys they drafted with rugs, with Bowden, with Edwards, I think Edwards has the best shot at being a traditional outside wide receiver. Even though he did work in the slot, he is the frame to be an outside wide receiver. He doesn't necessarily have the speed that Williams has, but at six, three two twelve, I mean, he can use his body in a way that I think will be conducive to the outside. He is very good at the catch point. Um, I, Again, will the will the quarterbacks on this team throw him the ball for a 50-50 ball? I don't know if they will. I really don't. I don't expect either of them to, but maybe the next quarterback will when they inevitably are not good. They, they have to. They they have to sign and or draft somebody, right? Like I they have a legit chance at a top five pet pick this season. I think they're going to end up with one of the one of the three most likely quarterbacks next yeah. year, and all, right. all three of those guys are better than the two they have right now. Yeah. Um, they're they're holding on. They knew they couldn't get a quarterback this year, so of course you have to double down on Derek Carr because they were just not in a position to draft any of the top quarterbacks this year. And I don't think that this team wants to make a massive trade up because they're not necessarily a quarterback away from a Super Bowl. They are many pieces away. So I think they're going to plan on maybe being pretty bad. And if they absolutely need to trade up from like six or seven yeah. up as opposed to where they were this year in the draft. Okay, but I see over time, Brian Edwards being the most prototypical wide receiver one. Mm -hmm. Um, 
if I'm taking anybody, it's rugs and it's usually in a best ball or Waller. You got to take Waller. Yeah. I, I, Waller is the, and well, Waller and I think Hunter Renfro are the two pass catchers that I would be even coming close to taking. I don't like this offense whatsoever. Um, I don't like the team. I, I just, no, no, this team is I don't bad. like the team. I, mean, team I just don't. Bad. Um, I don't like think. I don't trust the coach. I'm sorry, John Gruden is like. There are people that love that guy, mm-hmm. and I just even when they signed him, I was like, I don't like this. I Ten don't years. think. I don't think this dude is the guy for this team, especially. I think he is trying to fake it until he makes it, and mm-hmm. I know he's made it before. And we can talk about the team. Ten years. I mean, five years ago, teams were drafting running backs in the first round, and now you you know we've got four what I would consider first round talents going in the second. The the league's changing, yo. The league is changing. The teams that are good are doing things much much differently than what the Raiders are doing. I think objectively, the first two drafts with Mike Mayock and John Gruden in charge of full drafts, they have made picks that I think overwhelmingly have been questioned by everyone. I mean, they're making picks that I don't, while I think they're trying to create a culture of winning and they're getting older guys, it's just, to me, I just don't feel like they're, they don't get it. They're trying to build a team like it's the eighties or nineties and not like it's 2020. I I just, I just don't think that's going to work. I'm sorry. I just don't think that's going to work. I, if Josh Jacobs lands anywhere else, I love Josh Jacobs because he can catch the ball. You literally aren't using the thing that people loved about Josh Jacobs and, and his pass catching. You aren't doing it. I don't under, I don't know what you're doing. John Gruden. So point still point is this offense is going to be bad. Darren Waller is probably the only true pass catcher that you can trust there. Hunter Renfro, maybe Brian Edwards. If you want to take a swing this year, I wouldn't, I think you'll be fine in dynasty, but in terms of redraft, I'm just uh, this year and maybe next year, just going to be rough. Uh, I'll move on. I'll Emmanuel, move on. Emmanuel Sanders over Traquan Smith. Yeah, this one is uh, pretty obvious to me. Yeah, uh, the, wide receiver, the wide receiver two spot has been open for a while on that team. Uh, they don't necessarily have a tight end that's of major consequence. It's kind of Michael Thomas and Kamara, and then that's it. So uh, the team does throw quite a bit. Um, Drew Brees is looking for a guy that I think he can just trust. I think he just wants somebody that he can trust. And so Emmanuel Sanders, while he is not the Emmanuel Sanders uh, of the Broncos years, I think that he is a very serviceable wide receiver too. And I think he's going to be open because Michael Thomas commands a, a significant amount of attention on his side of the field. I think Emmanuel Sanders is, is doomed for, you know, a, a pretty sizable role in this offense as a pass catcher yeah. in the short and intermediate routes. And I think that he has enough volume to be a serviceable wide receiver three that could give you some wide receiver two weeks, which I don't think this team has had uh, in any of the last couple seasons. Um, I'm just going to say, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I don't like it's, it's not, it's Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. And then after that, I, I just, I don't care. Um, from Kamara. So obviously Michael Thomas led the league in, in targets. Kamara had 97 last season in 14 games. Next best was Jared cook with 65. I don't 
I mean, Ted Ginn had 56, and I don't like to do the vacated targets thing. I just – where Drew Brees is at in his career and the way the Saints have gone, they are emphasizing the run more and more. And I think that's going to be the case this year where – I mean, Drew Brees did – did um, throw for uh, 559 times, maybe you threw 500 over 550 times last year. I apologize. He only threw the ball 378 times, but that was because he Teddy, was hurt. Brid- Teddy Bridgewater had 196. But anyway, so they threw the ball 550 some odd times. Um, I could see, I, I, I think they'll probably do something like that 500 to 550 again. So I don't know how this gets distributed. I mean, Michael, maybe maybe Michael Thomas comes down a little bit, and you get some going to Emmanuel Sanders because he's got lighter coverage. But ultimately, maybe he'll give you some weeks where he is going to um, put up decent numbers. But overall, I just don't care. I don't. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders is at the end of his career. Basically, Traquan Smith had had a false start, and I don't think he's much of anything anymore. It's Kamar and Michael Thomas. Jared Cook was actually decent last year. And then after that, I don't want any part of anybody else. Yeah, I think that's fair. Let's uh, let's move on to the next one here. Uh, we've got Stefan Diggs, big trade of the offseason that was not Hopkins. Uh, what I thought Hopkins would probably go for uh, instead is Stefan Diggs heading to Buffalo. Uh, he's, he's replacing what I would consider replacing John Brown as the, the wide receiver one. I don't think there's really any question on from a talent perspective. While I like John Brown, I don't think that we can expect John Brown to do what he did this season as Again, you know, he was kind of the only guy in town catching passes. And so I think that with a team that does want to run the ball with a quarterback that is not as accurate, uh, even as I mean, he's he's getting better. I will say this. I was not I, a John, Josh Allen believer, but he's 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 okay, getting yeah. a little bit better. All right. I, I, I'll let you finish your rant. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, so Josh Allen does have a tendency to not always get you the best targets, but uh, he does throw the ball down the field. And I think that's one thing that Stefan Diggs really could have benefited from being used further down the field than what he was. Um, I think that Diggs's personality is going to command. He be peppered with targets in a way that other wide receiver ones across the league are. I think he was, while we can talk about wide receivers being prima donnas, uh, Stefan Diggs, it's pretty obvious. Like I think he, he would admit that he's a little bit vocal on the sidelines when he's not getting what he expects from a target and volume perspective. And I think that Stefan Diggs's personality is going to wear on a younger quarterback in Josh Allen in a way that it couldn't really do with Kirk Cousins. And I think he's going to command a significant number of targets and he's going to demand the ball. And Josh Allen is going to probably force him the ball and shoot some rockets his way. And, and I think that that's going to turn out that it's going to hurt John Brown because John Brown is not going to see the volume that he saw last year. He's not going to see the number of opportunities he saw last year. Stephon Diggs is just better, man. He's just a better wide receiver all around. And I think that that is, it's going to, it's going to be seen this year. And so if you have John Brown and you're expecting what you saw last year, I think you're going to be disappointed. I actually don't mind John Brown at the value he is right now. Um, because and especially in best ball where, he could end up being that over the top guy um, and, and those big, big gainers. Um, But 
So, yeah, I mean, this one's very obvious. Stefan Diggs is among the best, if not the best route runner in the game. Um, was ex- Has been extremely efficient over his career. I think only had over 100 targets one time. I, <laughs> But I don't love this entire situation. If you're expecting to, Stefan Diggs to somehow go from a – the are one of the most accurate QBs in the NFL to arguably the least accurate QB in the NFL starting QB at the very least uh, with it to a team that doesn't, I mean, is more well balanced, but run significantly runs or is a run first team. I think they were seventh to last in terms of uh, pass percentage last season. Cause I mean, I, and I, John Brown, I believe, had 115 targets. Uh, but let me let me check it real quick. And and I know Cole Beasley had over well over 100 targets as well. Yeah, sorry, uh, John. Yes, John Brown had 115, and Cole Beasley also had over 100. Um, after that, the, I mean, it falls off a cliff. I think Singletary is next in terms of. Um, number of targets and it's just, it's not even close. Uh, so I don't know. No, sorry. It was Dawson Knox with 50 and Singletary at 41. The thing is, I don't know where you're pulling from. I agree that John Brown is affected. I agree that Cole Beasley is affected, but you, those guys are still probably going to get 50 plus targets. So really what I'm saying is Stefan Diggs probably maybe around a hundred targets, less accurate targets. Well, they, the a dot will be higher. They're still going to be less accurate. I don't love Stefan Diggs in Buffalo. I think he took a hit here, but yes, in terms of the game that we are playing, he will, he will have more value than John Brown. He will take a lot from John Brown in this offense. I just don't love where this offense is or what this offense is for Diggs. I think that yeah, I I see what you're saying. I don't. You're worried skill set wise. He's not going to fit in uh, as well for from no. a fantasy perspective. I don't think. Yeah, you can be a great route runner, but if you're not getting targets that are catchable, it doesn't really yeah. matter how good. I, I don't. Runner, I don't how think much it's skill set because Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs will be able to adjust to those, and he'll be making catches that he didn't necessarily have to make in Minnesota, but. It's still he's still while while he is making some of those catches, it's those other balls that aren't even close. Yeah, John, where he is still wide open. Yes, and he could get frustrated with that. Jo- I mean, Josh Allen is not an accurate thrower. Yes, he saw a six percent bump, which we don't see normally. But I think that had a lot to do with his pass catchers. I mean, let's be real: John Brown and Cole Beasley are very underrated and very good pass catchers. Um. I think they helped uh, Josh Allen in terms of uh, his completion percentage because they were able to bring in balls that maybe the guys in his rookie season weren't. I don't think Stefan Diggs really adds that much in terms of, and I'm not, again, not don't read into this as I'm saying Stefan Diggs is not good. I am saying that Josh Allen has basically reached a ceiling in terms of what you can expect from completion percentage. Cause there's only so much that Stefan Diggs can do. And I don't know if he is that much better than John Brown or Cole Beasley, that he is going to just make may magically uh, 
make Josh Allen a 60 plus completion percentage QB. So that's my issue is you probably saw close to the ceiling of what he can be as a passer. And if they're not throwing the ball all that often, this is really going to hurt Diggs. I totally see that. I totally see it. And I think that you're right in that. I am, I am personally, while I, it's hard for me to look past just the fantasy value of a quarterback like Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. At some point, one, you got to win playoff games, and two, you you have to become a guy that wins games for your team. Mm-hmm. Um, when will Josh Allen become that? Because, yeah, he's winning games, but most of those games they're winning with their incredible defense. If you actually go and look at it, this is not Josh Allen like leading them to a 30-point victory like what we see with Lamar Jackson, like what we see with Patrick Mahomes, like even what we see with – other quarterbacks that maybe aren't, I mean, not winning, but necessarily they're, they're even a guy like Matthew Stafford, Matthew Stafford can take a team in the fourth quarter and go win a football game. Can Josh Allen do that? And can he make the throws throughout the game, throughout the season to win you games? And if he can't do that, when does the team get sick of going 10 and six and losing in the first round of the playoffs? Cause they can't score any points. That's, after his that's first my biggest contract. concern after his rookie contract. It's good. Yeah. He's going to be Jameis Winston 2.0. Bet. Uh, I, I, that is the concern, though. I mean, at yep. some point, you have to like, you have to win the big games, and you have to produce an offense that scores points enough to win multiple 100%. games. That is on the quarterback. They want quarterbacks that do that in the NFL. And 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 I think I, like nobody's taken away from him as a competitor or a gamer. He can put his the team on his back in term sometimes, not with his arm, but with the, his ability to run. He's just not a guy that's going to be able to make those clutch throws in my mind. So I think after his first contract, he's going to have to earn some or or, or get a better reputation just in terms of as a quarterback. He's going to. I, I mean, I don't. I would not doubt. If he had, he was like Jameis Winston, where he had to take a one-year contract somewhere with a QB that can teach him how to throw, and then um, and then he signed somewhere else. But yeah, I mean, I, Josh Josh Allen is who he is. I, Buffalo made a gigantic mistake in picking him in the first round. They really did because while you did need a guy who can cut through the cut the ball through the Buffalo winter. Which is just so stupid. I love that. (laughs) It's like I get it, but at the same time, it's like okay, but that's the only thing that he can really do. I just I don't understand. I think from an athlete, they saw an incredible athlete, and they do what every NFL team does to some extent. They looked at a guy and they said, "You know what? If you get him in this room with our guys, we're going to make him the next Brett Favre." Every well, team it, wants to believe yeah. that they can develop players in a way that, yeah, we can take this guy who has all the tools, but has, you know, the puzzle's not put together yet. We'll put the puzzle together. Uh, <laughs> every coaching staff has a guy like that. It's just the yeah. nature of the beast. You always see it. You're always going to see these guys. Somebody, it's, it's the same. I mean, we saw it with Jameis Winston. When they came in, they said, you know what? We can fix Jameis Winston. We can fix these issues. And sometimes, 
dudes are just who they are. And so they need either a change of scenery or a change of coaching staff or to sit behind a guy to become something different. And most of them, from what I find, most people don't, most players don't change. They, they are who they are and they pretty much stay the same. And who knows Josh Allen, again, we're not knocking him from a fantasy perspective. Mm -hmm. We're knocking him from a real life quarterback perspective. So if you're sitting here like Josh Allen is a top 12 fantasy quarterback and you guys shouldn't be talking smack about him. That is not what we're saying. What we're saying is we are worried long-term some of these flaws in his game are mm-hmm. going to meticulate into lost opportunities. And then that guy that you thought was going to be your starting quarterback and scoring fantasy points for you every week for the next 12 years becomes the next Jameis Winston. And that is what our concern is, is that his skill set mm-hmm. will not develop to the point where he gets to stay the starter because he has these deficits in his game. Yeah. I mean, 100%. Um, but that was a tangent, and we will move. We on love to, tangents yes, around here. Do. That's why. That's why we're on the show together. We'll. <laughs> so we'll move on to our final position here. Um, I, I think t- QBs is pretty obvious. Of like when you bring some somebody in, who's going to have the most value, etc. Um, so I, I mean, like next year, we know Tua is going to be have more value than Ryan Fitzpatrick, obviously, but that's because he probably isn't going to play this year. So I don't think we really need to talk about QBs, even though this is a QB centric show, we don't really need to talk about QBs who are going to replace. We could talk about Marcus Mariota versus Derek Carr. Neither are very good. I don't really care about that situation. We've already talked about the Oakland Raiders way too much on this podcast. Um, so we'll move on to tight ends here. Um, talk about the the couple of moves at tight end and, and we'll get out of here. So first one, Eric Ebron over Vance McDonald. I'm just going to start right away and say, I don't care again. Uh, Eric, Eric Ebron has had a, he's had one phenomenal season. He had one good season with Detroit. Ben doesn't throw to tight ends. Like people remember the name Heath Miller, but don't remember that Heath Miller wasn't overly productive in the NFL in terms of pass catching. He was a great blocker. He was a good pass catcher. He just didn't put up elite numbers. Plus you have Juju. Plus you have Deontay Johnson, plus you have James Conner, plus you have um, Anthony, what's his face? Who was the running back they just picked? Oh, my God. Anthony McFarland? Yes, Anthony McFarland, who uh, way way overrated. Um, he's, he's kind of just a big bowling ball of a dude. So um, I just don't see Eric Ebron being all that relevant. He'll be more relevant than Vance McDonald, which is the point of this uh, – exercise sure but i just don't see him being overly relevant so this is another one where i'm like okay still not taking ebron anywhere yeah i think that for me it's more just the nature of the the show topic which is guys who came in who are replacing another guy that was already there um from a fantasy perspective i don't i don't necessarily love either of these guys but i do think that Eric Ebron is a better version of Vance McDonald. They both have injury issues. To I think they paid Ebron to hopefully catch um, some touchdowns from Ben, and they're going all in on Ben, ben Roethlisberger being healthy, and I don't know if that's the best option. From a medical perspective, I'm, a, I'm not drafting Ben anywhere. And so his your arm's going to fall off and you're going to see his elbow <laughs> pop and it's like, what just happened? Oh my God. <laughs> so if we're assuming that Ben is limited in some capacity on deep throws, I think that's where you could see Ebron 
becoming a little bit more valuable in fantasy just because maybe Ben has to change how he approaches the game. He can't be a gunslinger as much as he used to be before the injury. And then you're seeing, then you're seeing the value for Ebron show up. But uh, again, this is more just in theme with the, the topic of the show, which is I think Ebron oh, yeah. for the most part is better than Vance McDonald at pretty much everything that they do. Um, for a fantasy perspective though. Well, I wouldn't really, say I really he's better than speeds. he's not better than Vance McDonald at trucking safeties. True. True, but I don't know if anybody can destroy lives the way that Vance literally McDonald's made does. him tear his knee. Anyway, that's stiff what armed him. Stiff armed him right into retirement. Yeah, just incredible. Uh, that dude's dead now. So yeah, I, I mean, even, Van, yeah, all right, that dude's dead for sure. Van, Vance McDonald had a good um, second season with the Steelers last year. He was extremely. He was an extreme disappointment. Um, a lot of people thought that he would take over without, or not take over, but be a lot better without um, Antonio Brown and without Jesse James there wasn't of course the quarterback situation was atrocious um and i just i don't know how many more times we we have to be disappointed by vance mcdonald before we move on um hopefully it's this year because eric ebron will be more valuable than vance mcdonald by the end of the season or is already and will be at the end of the season unless eric ebron breaks both ankles at once that would be wild um and then one more, I mean, not overly exciting here. Another very, very obvious run is Austin Hooper over David Njoku. Uh, unfortunate. I think David Njoku is a second contract guy where he moves on to a different team that knows how to use him. He's extremely athletic. He's learned the position at this point, what, four years in. I think he on his second contract is where you see Njoku break out. But they did sign Austin Hooper. We know Stefanski likes to use the tight ends. I mean, we saw both get used in, in Minnesota with Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph. But it's very obviously Hooper here just in terms of overall talent than Najoku. Now, Najoku's ceiling, I think, is higher ultimately. But Hooper is the guy where he, he just put up a, a monster season. Um. So, yeah, I mean, this one's obvious and we don't really need to talk about it all that much. I will say I'm not overly thrilled with Hooper. I'm not overly thrilled with any of the pass catchers, really. I think there is going to be some bad from some bounce back with Baker and OBJ next year in terms of like their percentages, their their per game stats. But I don't or sorry, not per game stats, but their their ratios and percentages. But I don't think that this is going to be a throwing team and they're going to throw all that much. It's Stefanski. He's coming from a team that had the fourth lowest um, pass percentage last season. And I think he's bringing that over. And I think this is going to be Nick Chubb. This is going to be a Nick Chubb show. Yeah, I agree. I think that Hooper, while I haven't given up on a Joku either, I do think that like you said, he's probably somebody that needs to go somewhere else to really be yeah. productive. And here's the thing. I think too often we forget that tight ends do take longer. I mean, we say it all the time, but in practice, I don't think we are particularly patient with any players in dynasty. You know, we look at a guy like heck that whole draft class. I mean, you look at Njoku, you look at OJ Howard, you look at mm -hmm. Evan Ingram, 
all three of those guys, if you really think about where they were projected to be at at this point, we were expecting them to all Would break you, out. Was, <laughs> they just don't. Do you have on that one? Um, I thought he was the year after. Yeah, that was the year after. Um, so uh, I think it was Goddard. I think, no, I'm not sure. I think Goddard was the year after too. Anyway, the idea though is that too often in dynasty, we are expecting that instant return. And with tight ends, we just don't see it. And so, yes, you're disappointed because you probably spent a second round rookie pick on, on all three of those guys. But with Najoku specifically, he was the most raw of the three. He was the dude that everybody said, this guy could be an absolute stud at the tight end position from an athletic standpoint. He's a freak, but he has work that he needs to do. And so if you're looking at this and you're going, well, I just, I'm over Najoku because he hasn't broken out yet. You're doing it wrong. You're absolutely doing it wrong. You mm-hmm. should be looking at Najoku as a buying opportunity because yeah, Hooper coming in, it, it hurts Najoku from a fantasy perspective. Hooper is right now a better, more consistent pass catcher than what Najoku has been in his career thus far. But to give up on a guy that had that much potential, that is at a position that typically does take longer to break out at, right before he maybe gets to move to a team that will use him more effectively, just seems like a negative play to me. It just seems like a you're 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 giving up too easily. That being said, I do think of these two, Hooper is probably the only one that is draftable right now in redraft because I do think they're going to use him to some extent and you, the threshold is very low to be a tight end one in fantasy and so I think Cooper will end up being a tight end one uh, but I don't necessarily expect him to be the tight end one like what he was for weeks while he was yeah. while he was in Atlanta yeah I mean like I said and Najoku had been playing football very long um before he got drafted. So he's just exactly. an athletic freak and he's learning the position. Unfortunately, he's had injuries. He's had the changing of the guard multiple times now. Maybe he does learn some things with Stefanski and with Hooper that he can carry on to his second team. But if yep. I, it, it, not to mention in uh Najoku is still extremely, extremely young for the position. Um he's only 23 years old, he's almost 24. And when he gets on his second contract, he'll be 24 going on 25. That's generally the breakout time age for tight ends. And now, and again, we're talking about a guy, and he had a decent season last season, believe it or not, but we're talking about a guy who's still learning the position, hasn't been playing football as long as a lot of these guys. So he very easily could uh, be a breakout in the second contract, especially because he's so young. So keep that in mind. But right now it's, it's Austin Hooper though. I don't love his value currently. It's Austin Hooper will be the tight end one there. So that is uh, anything you can do. I can do better. We will, I think, continue this um, after, after off or during the off season, after free agency and after drafts, it's, it's a good look to understand who's been affected by the draft and by free agency. So we kind of have all of the, the situations here and we, we went over them and you now have an idea of the players that you should be picking up, even if you view them as having lower value than the existing players on that team. 
Yeah, I absolutely think that this is something that we can come back to uh, every year. I hope that people liked it. If you liked it, please reach out to us. Let us know that you like. And when we do something new like this, I love getting feedback and hearing from you guys. If there's somebody you feel like, man, I wish you guys would have talked about this dude because I really feel like he's got an opportunity to absolutely demolish in fantasy and we didn't mention him in the show, reach out to us on Twitter. Reach out to the show on Twitter. We will talk about it. Uh, together we'll talk to you on Twitter. We'll interact with you, but we need to know kind of some, we need, we need as much feedback as we can get because it helps us get better and it helps us give you content that you want to hear and want to listen to and hopefully helps you win fantasy championships. That's the goal here. So, uh, we want as much feedback as we can get about what we're doing and what you like and what you don't like. If you hate me and Stompy going on tangents on players, like we're sorry. That's just who we are as people. It's not our fault that we got put up uh, on the show together. We're like the two, we're, we're two very similar personalities. So sometimes we get each other riled up and then we start, we start fighting and complaining. Well, hey, and if listen, you, I held back today. I held back on the political side too. So be proud of me. I tried to get Stompy on a political rant and we missed it. And so, if you hate that, by all means, we're happy that you hate it. But if you love it, when we and him go back and forth and we start arguing, let us know. Because we don't know. We we may not want to be on the same show if everybody hates it when we yell at each other. Yeah, uh, I know I don't hate it because I love talking to Stompy, but maybe you oh, guys yeah. hate listening to it. So speaking of feedback, uh, if you can go to iTunes, Podbean, wherever you listen to podcasts, Give us a subscription rating and review. It helps us get our brand out there. It helps us get uh, reach more fantasy football players. So uh, you look us up on uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Superflex Show. You can follow me at FF Stompy. You can follow Ethan at EternerFF underscore PT. And I think that's it. Oh, yeah. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for their song, The Addiction, that we've used for the intro and outro. And above all else, stay sexy and super flexy.